You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? Before we get started with this very special episode of Real Talk with Zuby, I have a quick favor to ask. And that is whether this is your very first time listening or you've been a regular listener to the show over the past few weeks... I ask that you please go on iTunes and leave a positive five-star review for the podcast if you are enjoying it. Head over to iTunes, search Zuby Podcast or Real Talk with Zuby. Give it a positive review if you are enjoying it. That'll really help me out, help more people to discover the podcast and get it higher up in the iTunes algorithm. So please do that. Leave a positive review. And without further ado... Let's get on with the podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got a very special guest. She is an outstanding thinker. She is a super intelligent woman. She is a YouTube commentator. She's also a cryptocurrency enthusiast. And she is Desiree Thinking. How are you doing, Desiree? I'm doing well. That was a very apt description of me. And thank you for having me today. You're very welcome. So I've uh, given the people a little quick overview. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell people a little bit more about you? Okay. Uh, well, Zuby sort of summed it up, but my name is Desiree. I run a YouTube channel called Just Thinking Out Loud. Even though it's a bit slow lately, I began that in um, March 2017, and it was just an outlet for me to share my thoughts um, with the world. Particularly, I focus a lot on um, identity politics and also on speech um, and promoting free speech. And then I also I work with the cryptocurrency project, and I'm also a lot into crypto. And one other thing that I do is that I'm a painter, an oil painter. I do a lot of realistic um sort of portraits or surrealist type paintings even though i haven't done a bit of that in a while i'm currently back in school so all my creative work has sort of slowed down um but that those are the things that i do yeah awesome so free speech advocate cryptocurrency enthusiast artist creative you know it's a female version of me this is wonderful <laughs> <laughs> i'm yeah. playing so uh so tell us 
uh, people will be able to hear a little bit of an accent from. Where Where is that accent from? Oh, yes, that is a big part of my identity. I didn't you know, say that when I introduced myself. I am from the Caribbean island of Jamaica. Um, I lived there for 17 years, and then I came to the U.S. Uh, for college in 2010. So that's where I'm from. Okay, so let's take it way back. So tell us a little bit more about growing up in Jamaica. What was that like? Um, growing up in Jamaica was different from here. I think the one of the biggest things that would stand out is uh, the social environment. I think that people are more genuine or the way they discuss things. I don't want to say more genuine because it, then it sounds like I'm making a value judgment. But in social interactions were different. So I found it easier to talk to people and discuss things. For example, I would say that there probably wasn't anything or isn't anything like the same kind of political correctness that I perceive here um, for one. And then another striking difference for me that I didn't really realize until afterwards was how people form their identity. Um, Cause it's a lot less like race focused as it is here in the US. Uh, another obvious thing is the weather is different. Uh, the sun, the difference in time that the sun sets uh, over <laughs> the years, only like an hour difference versus yeah. here. It's like maybe three hour difference. Um, I'm in the Northeast, by the way. And another thing is that growing up, I was in a Christian household and the schools, all the schools that I went to, I, I would say like 95% of schools in Jamaica are Christian. So that's also something we definitely very strong um, Judeo-Christian values transmitted there. At the same time, there's a lot of African culture influence. So there's like a very interesting mix. Mm. But I would definitely say in institutions, it's very Judeo-Christian. So that was another thing. Those are the the biggest thing. The, the culture was a bit different, but that's hard to describe. Like people are more direct. It's, it's kind of just hard to describe. You have to visit and live there maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched quite a lot of your YouTube videos and seen some of the things you talk about. And also, of course, I follow you in t on Twitter and we interact there. And you're certainly a very thoughtful and outspoken individual. Have you always been like that? Is that something that you've had in you since you were a kid? Or is it something that came along one day when you were a bit older and you suddenly felt like, you know what, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a YouTube channel and I'm going to start putting my thoughts and my opinions out there because a lot of everybody has thoughts and opinions, but um, not everyone feels motivated to go out there in public and talk about, especially some of the more sensitive topics that you speak about. You know, a lot of people feel worried about it, as you said before, for political correctness or fear of what other, other people may think or whatever it is. So for you, where does that come from? I've definitely always been outspoken, but I've never been outspoken on a public platform. Um, my mom always used to tell me that I should join the debate team, which I, I never did. So mm -hmm. I've always been like that kind of thinker. And also when I started my channel, I didn't tell my parents, but I think one of their friends found me, I don't know how, mm -hmm. and then told them. And they were like, not surprised at all. They were like, this sounds like something that yeah you would do. Um, so I've always been like that. I will say that the what prompted me to start Just Making Out Loud was definitely a desire 
to speak out because I felt like there was a social atmosphere trying to silence me in subtle ways. Mm. I had a few conversations uh, with people who I had been around ever since I'd been in the US, which had been like uh, six, six years at that time when I first started thinking about those things, who I thought were friends that I could talk to. But then once I started saying something like, oh, I don't think Trump is that bad. That's probably like thing that made me realize that I was thinking differently from others. I, I really, I didn't even say I liked him. I was like, I don't think he's as bad as people think. You didn't and venomously hate him. That's, that's enough of a crime. If you don't venomously hate him, that's, that's already a crime. Exactly. And just doing that resulted in arguments with people. Mm. So, and then there was also a lot of people that I would speak to. I felt as if they expected me to have a certain opinion. Um, actually, I think that's kind of changing now, but it might be because of, I'm running like the school I'm going to is like heavily um, like engineer type thinkers. So I think that they're less likely to assume that I think a certain way. Well, they're more likely um, to be conservative to be fair. Yeah. So yeah. I'm experiencing that less now, but at that time I was realizing that a lot of people assumed to know what I was thinking because of how I look. I, I figured that out and I wasn't used to that. That's a, something mm. I wasn't used to in Jamaica also. I've always been outspoken, but the reason why I started the channel was because I felt like I needed to say something. And even now I've been in this sort of downtime and I've been thinking about these things a lot. And every time I hear something, like recently there were, the, I don't know if you know the, the incident at um, Barnard College, I think it was. Every time I hear something like that, I'm like, this can't get any more ridiculous. But I actually feel some sort of responsibility. To I'm not. Say I'm not. I'm not actually familiar with this situation. Can you explain? Oh, it sure. Uh, okay. I don't have all the details, but there was a student, a black student. I think it was a Columbia student who went to Barnard College. From what I understand, I think it's a girls' school, but I'm not sure. But he went to this library late, and they have a policy of. Um, um, the officer is asking whoever is entering to show their ID before they enter. But the student thought that it was a policy that wasn't enforced equally, meaning that a lot of white students would get to go in without showing their ID. So they that person went there specifically um, with the goal of showing this inequality. So he didn't want to show his ID at first and then eventually showed his ID and then was apprehended. Um, and a lot of their protests happening around it now because they were like, it was because he was a black student going so, to the library. Oh, the unthinkable. So, so, so wait, he, he was apprehended after showing the ID or he yeah. refused to show it and then? Yeah, he refused it? to show it at first because okay. he was trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, when I say apprehended, I mean, like they obviously they stopped him from going in mm -hmm. because he wasn't showing the ID. But then when eventually when he showed it, they still didn't let him go in. I, I don't know why. And some oh, people oh, are that's, like- That sounds bizarre. Well, it's more complicated than that. Okay, I'm not the best person to talk. Oh about. no, that's okay. No, I was, I was gonna say if, if um if they let him in afterwards and then they still made a big deal about it, I'd be like, okay, that's weird. Well, I think there was already a promotion then... by the point that by the time that he showed them the idea, yeah. okay. because there was already okay. an incident beforehand, and he was he was just going there to to prove the point that. Mm other people don't have to show their ID. And so they say that he was being racially profiled, but mm. if he wasn't complying at first, then he wasn't complying. So, but anytime I hear incidents like this, and then I see the the response, like there was this 40,000 like Twitter thread that I saw, 
and everybody was like, well, this is what they do. This is America, that kind of stuff. Like when I saw that, what I'm trying to say is that every time I see this, that kind of response of people just buying this, this narrative that, you know, they're being systematically oppressed basically because of incidents that are blown up, even though the incident was, that's what the student was trying to do. Um, it makes me think that I should say something mm. because even if in my mind I see things that I'm like, well, this is not true. If I don't say something and then there are just people who are still peddling a certain narrative that I'm probably being complicit in my own way. At the same time, it, it all gets sort of tiring because it's just the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I, I feel you on that completely because it, part of it is some of the same reason that I ended up starting this podcast even, you know, just looking at the way the conversation was around a whole bunch of things and knowing what my own personal views and perspectives and opinions are and seeing how they align or in many cases misalign with lots of the popular narratives that are peddled out there. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be silently complicit. As we know from history, you can be complicit just by not saying anything and not challenging anything. So I was like, okay, I can I can see why people get cowed into silence or I can see why people don't speak up. But I call it, um, what did I call it the other day? I called it like social, social justice warrior terrorism, essentially. They're forcing people to self-censor. So it's not even that this is coming, coming from a, a kind of government level necessarily. It's like this environment has just been created where people are, you know, scared of a, t a tiny minority of people, to be honest, you know, a very small minor number of activist people who are very loud online and real life with their protests and things like that, who are trying to get people shut down, deplatformed, censored, get them fired from their jobs, get them to lose their positions at university, whatever it is. So I can understand that fear. But at the same time, I'm like, nah, screw that. I'm not going to um, let me not be another person who kind of keeps their head down, hoping that it'll never hit me because the way these things work, it'll come around and hit. It comes around and hits everyone eventually. Even the people, even the people who are who are the activists, right? It's a uh, you can never be woke enough. Someone's always going to outwoke you. So I refer to it as a, a circular firing squad because everybody's going to get everybody's going to get shot eventually. <laughs> yeah, it, it's also a, a continuous battle because say I have a couple of videos that I did on why I don't like Black Lives Matter and why. Um, I think gun control isn't a good idea. More gun, gun control isn't a good idea. And maybe two or three times a year, there's some huge incident and it's just the same arguments being repeated. Mm -hmm. So to me, my mind's like, oh, well, I've already talked about this. Do I really need to talk about this? But you realize that every single time those incidents happen, that's an opportunity for the debate to shift again. So the, just tying into the whole, it, it's kind of tiring, but it's yeah. also necessary because there's still the people who don't agree with who I don't agree with who are pushing their version of reality, I guess, out there. Absolutely. Well, I think you always, I mean, it doesn't matter what side or position things are coming from. I think you always want, in order to have a conversation, it needs to be decently balanced. If you're going to have a debate, if someone's going to come and push a certain position, then you need people to be able to counter it or challenge it or state their opinions. I don't like this whole idea that there's only one way of thinking and this is this is it. And anybody who challenges challenges this is evil or is a bigot or is some kind of horrible thing. And that's literally the game that's been being played for the past several years. It's just like, okay, well, if you're not in favor of what I think about gun control, then it's because you're evil and you want children to be shot, right? That's what people try to do, okay? If you don't take my position on um, 
abortion and pro-choice, it's because you hate women and you want to control them and you want to enslave them and you're a horrible person, right? It can't just possibly be because you value an innocent human life, right? So people always try to frame these things in a very particular way. And it's a, once you see the tactic, it becomes like extremely obvious, right? I can, I can see it coming before someone even says it. I'm like, okay, I'll say this. And then they're going to say this. And it's like, I've been through this cycle. <laughs> I've been through this cycle many times now online and offline. And it's just, it's very predictable. It's very boring. And it, but also, <laughs> yeah, it's boring. Yeah, it, it is. It is. But I think it shows that people, um, the truth is though, is it's important because I think even when you get these people who are claim that they just want to shut someone down or that they they don't want to listen. I, I think ultimately, if you if you are confident in your position and your belief and your perspective on something, you shouldn't be afraid of it being challenged. So the fact that these people, that the fact that the only debate tactic is to either silence the other person so you don't hear the other side of the argument or to insinuate that they're some kind of terrible person to me, that means that, well, maybe you don't even really, you know, maybe your conviction about your own beliefs are not that good. Maybe your arguments aren't that good. Why would you be afraid of me even being able to talk or being able to challenge your thing? If your argument is so great, if your position is the one that makes sense, you should be able to rebut everything I'm saying and just be like, oh, no, this is and, and that's happened before. Right. I've changed my position on certain subjects because my argument just did not hold. Right. My argument, my argument did not hold. And I had to be like, well, I concede that. Yeah, you're right. You know, and that, and that's how that's how minds are changed. So I think sometimes it um, you're right. It can be it can be boring. It can be frustrating. But I think it's at the same time it's very important that that continues. Otherwise, you're gonna just let the crazies run away with the whole thing and just let the crazy people set the set the rules, set the game, and that's it. And I think if if it goes too far, then it'll become extremely difficult or perhaps even illegal. Like it sounds crazy, but even yeah. even illegal to challenge certain ideas. And you're starting to see that happen in Canada. You're starting to see it happen in the UK. US isn't quite as far gone. But I mean, in the UK, you're getting the police knocking on people's doors for stuff that they're writing on Twitter. And I'm not talking about violent threats or anything like that, just opinions. And I'm like, wow, that's insane to me. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah. So, gosh, I'm trying to think of a, I don't even know where we go from here. So let's, let's take it back a little bit. So Let's talk about you going from Jamaica to the U.S. Is it um, is it New York where you mm-hmm. first went? Is that right? Cool. Yeah, New York, upstate New York, which is a big difference. Okay. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about that transition and some of those changes that you touched on. You touched on briefly earlier, in terms to political correctness and identity and stuff like that. But can you go into that in a little more detail? What your observations were? I was very naive. Um, naive isn't the right word. I was very oblivious to a lot of uh, racial issues in the U.S. when I first came to New York. I think in Jamaica, there's definitely a sense of like black pride or black empowerment, but it doesn't have the same almost bitterness, if that's the right word, as what I experience here. And it seems more of a historical thing um, than here. But at first, I didn't really care about that. Uh, I kind of struggled financially in college. So I was mostly focused on my work, getting my work done, getting through school. So I I didn't care about that stuff. Um, I was dating someone who was white at the time, and I was still oblivious to all of that. His parents were very nice. Uh, They would be considered progressive. But mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't even know that. Like I didn't know those terms. I didn't. Like I didn't. I went to a very progressive school. <laughs> I think 
something that displays the height of it is that there is this day, I forget what it was called. The, there was this day where a lot of girls would go around like wearing like tassels on their, their chest instead of like a shirt. And it was like about like, oh, it was like not slut shaming. Sorry, I think that's what it was called. It was like a day oh. that was like against slut shaming. And there was one moment where um, there was a woman on the stage who like took her took her tampon out and like threw it into the crowd. I know, I oh, probably did because that was like the height of oh, no. just like exemplifying what my college is like. And people ask so, me why, why I think modern feminism is insane. <laughs> what I mean, on but, earth? But at the time, I just I just thought it was interesting. I was like, oh, these people are just like, they feel <laughs> oppressed and they're just trying to like throw off the patriarchy or whatever. I wasn't really in touch with like the, the more serious social consequences of yeah. what these people were trying to express, if that makes sense. Because um, I just didn't really care about it. And then what happened was that I graduated college and then I moved to the city. I was living with relatives. And I really don't like NYC, by the way. But that was more of a culture shock to me, moving from upstate New York to New York City than it was moving from um, where I was in Jamaica to, I know, it, it sounds really crazy, but it, it was. But when I moved from Jamaica, I, it was more like a novel experience. Like it, it was really cold. I had to figure out that I need to wear a hat on my head. And I was always like cold than everyone else. That's probably the biggest thing was the difference in temperature and seeing like squirrels or seeing a train for the first time or seeing dare. Like there was, those were things I'd never seen before. Like those things stood out to me more so than interactions with people because I thought that like talking to people, they were like a bit different from me. I thought they were a bit more um, introverted and um, they were less direct. Those are things that I noticed. But other than that, I didn't really notice anything. I was also in some ways, you could say like in a bubble because there, I was friends with a lot of international students. Okay. Um, but the guy I was dating was local from the area. So I did also get like a, a taste of, and I dated him all throughout college. So I did get a taste of like that specific environment. I don't know. Everybody was just kind of nice to me. I thought that they, they were, they like smoked weed more so than even a lot of people I would know in Jamaica. It was like more of a, like, they just do this to hang out, like things like that. But then anyway, so when I finished college, um, <clears throat> I just had a few experiences where I had a job. One thing was that I had a job um, as an EMT. And actually, I don't want to get there yet because that's like the, the bigger thing that made me really wake up. Mm -hmm. Some minor differences were like when I took the bus, I would say hi to the bus driver. And they were like, they would like look at me where they don't always, they don't all do that. Like some of them would be nice to you back. But things that were more okay upstate i couldn't people would look at me funny so mm -hmm. that stuff was kind of a, a culture shock to me and then of course the garbage and just the peace and everybody on the, the subway looks like miserable a little bit it's like, it's like <laughs> london i don't know if you've been in london as well no no i've never been there okay yeah london and new york are very similar in that regard oh okay um yeah but one particular incident was I had a job, I was trying to find work and I had a job as an EMT and a lot of the people where I was working with, they were black, which I quickly found out was kind of important because they expected me to be like them and they kind of scorned me for not being like them. I told them that I, that I 
had been living upstate. And then they said that I was up with the slave masters. This was just one or two guys. There was one guy, but then another guy was supporting him. And then another guy like would not say anything. So it was like, mm. okay, like in their culture to, to say stuff like that. Actually became friends with one guy who wasn't like them, but most of them were like that. Okay. And um, what, what was it that prompted those comments? Was it just saying that you were upstate or was it? Yeah, oh. I was like introducing myself and oh, they were right. asking me where I was from. So that was one thing that happened. And then they also were like, I don't know, like mocking me for speaking proper English. Like they, they said that I was being really proper, that they use the word proper, which I am. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. That was definitely like the turning point because I, I was really offended. I didn't, I didn't get into the argument. I just kind of ignored the whole thing. But I was like, screw this um, to not use a bad word on, on video. Yeah, that's probably the, the biggest thing. And then also, as I said, I, I had a couple discussions with friends and I had a friend who was like pro Antifa and hated Trump and that kind of stuff. And just realizing that I didn't think like people and that a lot of the thinking that people had was for protection of minorities. And I remember thinking that I never ever felt like people were really like being dicks to me like yeah. I never I personally never felt that and I'm not saying that nobody else can have that experience that's possibly true but they were making it sound so widespread and it was just like not my experience at all yeah. so I, I was just like what are these people talking about and that's when I, I just felt as if it was the whole um using using people um as pawns almost or politicians appealing to specific voting blocks based on their identity and using fair. I definitely think I saw that and I didn't like it. No, and I, I wish I'm, I could educate people more, but it, it's difficult. It's, it's very difficult. It's extremely difficult because I really, really dislike the, uh, I'm not in the US, but I really, really dislike the Democratic Party. Like I really, I really, really dislike it. It's, it's modern incarnation because that's literally how I see it. I just see it's just, it's all based on identity politics. It's literally just, you know, looking at people as little voting blocks and groups. It's like, okay, how can we use this minority group to our advantage and this one and this one and that one, you know, and I'm sure there is some, you know, I'm, I'm, this isn't talking about like all the voters and stuff. I'm sure there's lots of people who genuinely want to help people who they may think are underprivileged in some way. But I think at the sort of higher power levels, I just see it as like a game. And And what makes it very obvious to me is the way they treat people who are from those groups who do not fit into their line of thinking, right? It's like there's nothing worse to them than like a black conservative or a black libertarian or a gay conservative or a, a black gay conservative, right? Or a black, you know, if, if you right. were like a, a, a lesbian black woman who's conservative, like, because it goes against the entire narrative that you're trying to push here. So, so what typically happens is, you know, both from say, you know, the, the the white folk and also from, you know, other black people is like, they're like the attack dogs to make sure that people stay in line. And I find that whole thing crazy. Like to me, I'm like, that's what I consider actually racist. If you're looking at me mm -hmm. and you're saying, okay, I'm a black guy, someone's looking at you and saying you're a black woman. So therefore you must think like this, or you must believe these things, or you must believe you're some kind of victim or that you're oppressed or that you're, and you yourself are like, no, that's not actually my personal experience this is not to say that these things don't exist on any level but 
that's not my experience. And no, I don't think the US is that bad. No, I don't think the UK is that bad. I mean, it's very similar here, even though the history is um, the history is pretty different. But there's a lot of, you know, black and ethnic minority people here who kind of feel the same way. And it's just this constant victimhood narrative, which I'm personally not a fan of. I'm really like, I'm really, really, really sick and tired of it. And I think it's coming back in force, which is the thing that's weird to me, because it seems sort of in the past five years or so, in the past sort of four or five years, there's just been this resurgence of all these ideas. You know, it's like way back in the day, people were judging each other based on their skin color and their sexuality and their gender and all that. And it was a big problem. And then it got sort of mostly resolved. And then it was like, okay, cool. In the in the 90s, in the early thousands, people were kind of cool. Like I don't remember in 2005, people making big deals about race and gender and all this kind of stuff. It was just like, okay, like everyone's kind of cool. Everyone's getting on. And now you're in 2019 when you should really be further along that road. But it's like people have fallen back into what I consider very divisive narratives, right? You've got these ideas of, oh, you know, you've got white male privilege or you've got cis privilege or you've got this or you've got that. And this, and you're, you're trying to sort of rank all these people on these immutable characteristics and I find the whole thing just very crazy. Like it's very weird to me and I don't know why sometimes I'm, I feel like I'm one of the only people who sees it and <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I know I'm not, I know I'm not, but it feels that way sometimes. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, how come are we inhabiting the same planet? Are we in the same place? Right. I'll be talking to someone and they'll be telling me how, how racist the UK is, how terrible the UK is, how there's all this rampant racism, rampant sexism, whatever. And I'm like, where? Like I've been here for I've been here for 20 years. And I've been to almost every I've been to more towns and cities in this country with my music than almost anybody has. I've spoken to more people in this country than almost anybody has. And I have not experienced this at all. Like at all, like in that whole time period. And I'm kind of like, okay, I'm not saying my my experience is the same as everybody else's, but if it were as bad as you are as you're trying to tell me it is, then surely I would see this. So it, it confuses me sometimes. I, I wonder if I'm, I'm like, am I in the same country? Or are we in the same reality? Because it's weird how two people can go through the same thing or even be in the same place and just interpret stuff so, so, so differently. Um, and that, that's something that fascinates me though. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I have the same experience. Um, I've had a lot of friends who are, uh, who also came like after high school to the U.S. to continue their studies. And a couple of them definitely see it differently from me, from the ones I've spoken to. Um, but then a couple of them also are kind of just neutral about it. Like mm. they don't really seem to lead one way or the other. Uh, and I wanted to say that I'm so used now, used to hearing the term like Black conservatives, don't get treated well by the left, like hearing things like that. And I, I just want to point out, it's very true. Because <laughs> a lot of people, <laughs> well, a lot of people are like, well, Black conservatives just use it to like gain fame or stuff like that. And no, like it's really true. Like you I, are I treated think, as like an outcast. Honestly, I mean, the, the fact that what, what you just said there is, it's it, to me, I'm like, that is racist. Like you're saying that the only way a black person could even be conservative or have some conservative ideas is if they're being paid, if they're being paid by somebody or right. they're, or they're, what word do they use? They're, they're a grifter, they're a shit, like th that can't just genuinely be their position. And I'm just like, 
how can people not see the hip how can you not see the hypocrisy of what you're saying here you're you're telling me that i don't even believe like i'm not even strictly a conservative but you're just saying i can't even believe what i believe <laughs> i've ha- i've right. seen i've seen rumors on twitter that i'm actually um that my music career is funded by the uh, conservative party in the uk i'm supposed to like infiltrate the youth and <laughs> poison the youth that, that 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 this is literally like i've seen people saying this kind of stuff or oh he's funded by conservative think tanks or he's this he's and i'm just like you're actually insane like there are people who are not white who think differently and i think it's i think i genuinely think it's extreme that's such a racist position right to to think that all black people think the same way or all uh asian people think the same or all, like it's it's terrible i don't get it and i i don't just don't see how people don't see that yeah it, it grosses me out as well i think that who you are should be about your values and sometimes i think that can line up with say ethnicity but that's the other thing that really pisses me off It's the way people especially in my opinion black americans confuse ethnicity with race that that like drives me crazy because i feel as if my whole history is being erased when i come into contact with people who think like that and they're like oh you're just trying to not be black or you're just trying to like disown this but like no you're like literally just trying to erase all of my experience and my like origins and like the culture that i come from and i think that because a lot of uh black americans here are so often put on a pedestal to have their voice heard it's almost as if they can't conceive that, oh, somebody else's voice could also be important in these matters such as this. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, it doesn't just have to come from the lens of the Black American perspective. Yeah. And they should have the, the opportunity to talk, especially because it's almost as if their perspective is trying to envelop every every other ethnicity that could somehow be identified as Black, even though they, they probably don't even identify themselves that way. Yeah. So that's something, that's another thing that also really upsets me. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right on that. I think that um, in, in my in my personal experience, I think that a lot of Black Americans or, or people, in, maybe people in America in general, firstly, I don't think that there's such a thing as a Black American perspective, right? I don't, I don't like, that's too wide, right? You've got millions of Black American perspectives. But um, I do think that to the degree that something like that may exist, I think that people think that that is therefore just the black perspective or the black experience. So whether someone is from Jamaica or Nigeria or South Africa or the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. If their skin is this color, then it's it's all really it's all the strange. same thing kind of thing. And it's like no, these are entirely different different groups with different histories. And then beyond that, you're just talking about individuals, right? Mm-hmm. You could take one white woman and another. If you take two white women off the street their experiences and their perspectives and their views are not inherently going to be the same thing. Why, why should they be? Why would they be? Just like you can't just pick off two black people off a map and be like, okay, they, they're going to believe the same thing. Cause it's like, well, no, well, why would they? Right. One thing that really, that I find really curious with the identity politics pushers is why have you even chosen these categories of identity? Like why have you decided that it's, it's race, gender and sexuality, right? Why why is it not height? Why is it not wealth? Okay, they do the wealth one sometimes. Why is it not language? Why is it not, you know, it's it's like it could be it, it could be so many different things. It could be hair color. But I think they do it because they their argument for it would be because of the historical importance of it. But to me it's like, well you're just continuing the historical importance of it. You're like mm-hmm. continuing the, the issues that say 
people were divided up economically based on race. Yeah. You know, like that was basically slavery. So you're only continuing this awful history if you're trying to frame everything still within that perspective. And I, I also thought think that that's I used to think it's weird. And I still think it's weird, but now I'm mm-hmm. my mind is more used to hearing you know, like people refer to each other as black and white. Like now I've started mm-hmm. to do it. It's you know, it's like I never grew up like that. Yeah. And I definitely try to I think I still see people as individuals, but my mind has definitely shifted to just even just be using the language and the terminology yeah. to like describe the world. I do think it's a shame. And I actually think it could possibly be reversed. But if I'm just around it all the time, then it, it you sort of adopt it just by default. Something else I wanted to say uh, was you were talking about you you feel as if you're the only person that feels thinks this way. And I I think it's similar for me when I compare my in-person interactions versus being online. Because online, you can you find your like-minded people like with the click of a button, and that's very nice and encouraging. But it is different when you're walking around. You know that there are people out there who think like you, but you never know. It might be some person who will just call you a horrible, I don't know, some bad word. And so you have to kind of keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really sad. And I think I do want to participate in making that a change in that way you know like sometimes I, I will speak to people and I almost want to tell them what I think actually because then they'll realize that you know that there are nice people out there who probably think things that you think are horrible if I were to tell them but because people like me stay silent you know nobody really knows like in person I know I say stuff online yeah, yeah. and like occasionally I'll tell people like what I do online but usually when I'm interacting that doesn't come up so yeah. And what's been what's been the feedback to your online videos, your YouTube channels? Because uh, you've you've put out a, a lot of stuff out there. So what's been the general response? Uh, I think most of it has been positive. There have definitely been some very vocal, uh, vitriolic hate coming from people like that. Mm-hmm. That's definitely happened. Can I ask who it mainly comes from? Well, I feel bad saying it, but I, I would say Black Americans. I don't want to say that they're all like that because I know they're not. But it definitely, it mostly comes from them. I would say I haven't really had any what people would call white liberals comments on my channel. Mm. I would say the most negative stuff comes from Black Americans, from what I can tell. Like they'll say stuff like I should go back to my country or I don't know what I'm talking about. Or that I'm, I hate myself, or that I'm just doing this to attack people, and it's just so not, that's so not the truth. Like those things, but it doesn't matter. Like that's that's how they've, that's another thing. Like that's how they've grown up to view, they've grown up to view other black people as being like in their tribe, mm. almost, and so like what they do is for their tribe and should be for the advancement of their race. And I'm just like, what the, no, 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 no. I'm here in order to become the best version of me, whatever that is. I, you don't, you can't like control other people just because they look like you. And I think that in itself is like almost a slavery mindset in that you're trying to like control someone just because of some accident of their birth, because that's what it is, yeah. you know? And it's like, yes, you can choose to embrace certain things if you want. If you want to go and embrace that part of your identity, that's fine. But you can't, like, force other people to do that. That's not right. It's immoral to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, one thing I've certainly noticed is that 
with different people. You know, people, the way people think about their own identity, I think firstly, they use their own personal view of it to kind of assume everyone else uses those same qualities. But firstly, every, the way the way people categorize themselves and identify is it's a very individual thing. And the way they rank different factors can be very different. So to me, obviously, yeah, I'm a, I'm a black man. I'm a, I know I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm happy with that. Like, that's all good, right? I'm black. But in terms of how I think about my own personal identity and how I would sort of categorize myself as a human being, my race is really low on it. And this is different for everybody. And I'm not saying either way is right or wrong, right? For some people, you know, black is right at the top. It might not even be black. It might be African. It might be Nigeria, right? For different people, it's it's different. And But I think that when you get someone who thinks that their race, like it doesn't even matter what race they are. I think when you get someone who thinks that their race is sort of the top thing, they then see the entire sort of world through that viewpoint. So everything does become quite literally black and white and brown because they're assuming that all these white people also think that race is, you know, the sort of top thing. They also think all these other black people think race is the top thing. So the world becomes this sort of battleground almost in a way, or just like a very segregated thing. Whereas to me, there are other qualities that I have, things I believe in, parts of my personality trait that I that I think are far more important in the grand scheme of things than my skin color, you know, and I, I'm thinking more like my, my character, like, what do I believe? What do I think? What am I interested in? What do I, what do I do? What do I have to offer the world? Right. The fact I'm black is like, as you said, that's just, a, that's circumstantial. I didn't do, I didn't do anything for that good or bad. It's just like, it just is right. It just is like it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to chastise somebody for this is, this is why I find this whole thing a little bit disgusting. So when you're seeing people online or in the real world and they're chastising somebody for being a white male, and I'm just like, that is racist and sexist. That's just that's just what that person is, right? They, they were they were just born a white male. So you're now attacking them, right? What I often do is I just I just swap the words. So I think, okay, replace the word white with any other ethnicity. And how does this how does this sound or how does it come across? Okay. If someone was attacking you for being a black woman. How is that going to come across, right? People are going to be like, "Whoa, whoa!" Like, no, you can't do that. You see, you see what I mean? But then those same people will go and they'll they'll sling mud at someone for, "Oh, you're a white, straight white male." That you know, blah blah blah, and that's part of their argument. And you're just like, "How do you reconcile these things?" Like the hypocrisy, just I find it very maddening because I'm just like, "Look, can we just stop? Like, just <laughs> just stop doing this thing." Yeah, to me, that's just plain racism. And sometimes it's scary because you're just like, why isn't this just obvious to everybody? Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you have to be making arguments about it? Yeah. Um, and like I said, the, the people are like, well, it's the historical because of what happened historically. But it's just it's just racism. Mm -hmm. And nobody should be judged for the actions of other people. Okay, you could have different segments of the population and that segment of the population is more likely to do something. Okay, but I think we should strive as much as we can to still judge people individually, even if we know those things. Like yeah. that is that is my like ideal world. Absolutely. And and most people agree with that, but they only see it from one direction. So they don't see the hypocrisy. Right? If you had somebody who's on the um if you take somebody who's on the far right of the political spectrum, who's some like ethno-nationalist or whatever, most people, 90, 98% of people can be like, no, that's the wrong, 
idea because you shouldn't be judging entire groups based on individuals or based on this or based on that. And most people are quick to are quick to say that. But it's mm-hmm. like when it happens on the other end, it it gets a pass or it's even encouraged or it's like, oh no, that's different because and I'm like, no, it's not different. I don't care if it's coming from far left, far right. Like it's the same, it's the same thing. Like you're literally just doing the same thing. And yeah, I just find it maddening. So when I find people demonizing someone for, you know, if you're demonizing someone for being straight, you're demonizing someone for being gay, you're demonizing someone for being white, being black, being Jewish, like I don't, it's the same thing to me. I don't, I don't have like a totem pole where it's okay in one direction and terrible in another. To me, it's just like, it's all terrible. Like, stop. <laughs> that's, that's like my very simple view. I'm just like, look, just, just stop. Like I get history. I, I understand history, but we're now in the present. So how long are we going to keep bashing on about things that happened? Not even in, not in our lifetimes, not even sometimes in our parents' lifetimes, sometimes not even in your grandparents' lifetimes. And you don't even know who was involved in these things. And no one, no one who is alive today was involved in these things. So we can acknowledge it. We can recognize it. And then you can just move on rather than just playing into the same thing that created those issues in the first place. Yeah. Um, there's two things I wanted to say. One was that, um, just as a, a side note almost, something else that annoys me is that um, like you end up having to talk so much about race just to try to... <laughs> try to get people to stop focusing so much on it like it's just like something that feeds on itself and there's is there's no way to to really get around it you know so like I can get to start talking about things about say black people because of my skin color even though I'd rather like we don't that's not the standard by which people can get to talk about those things but because of how society is set up it's almost like you can't escape it that's how it feels to me sometimes and then anything I do um, I've mentioned this, I think, on one other interview. Like when I make art with black people, and they no, it's not black empowerment art. It's just <laughs> art. like it's not. It's not something to try and like move, advance like black people forward. So it's it's kind of annoying, honestly. Like I just want to like live my life, but I'm forced, almost like I have a calling <laughs> that I don't really want, but I, I have to do it if I if I want to. Like we were talking about earlier have an impact on the way things are going that I think are, are dangerous. That was a side note, actually, but you look like you might want to say something. No, no, go for it. No, carry on. You know, you were saying it seemed as if people were getting over the race thing, but then it's like it was coming back. I really think that we as a society have to figure out how to deal with the, the statistics, because even if you're not seeing groups perform equally, so you're like, well, this is because of the past, like things still haven't shifted. That doesn't mean that you should still be taking uh, racist actions to correct for those things. Mm. In my mind, whatever is happening that you don't like, say a certain population of percentage of uh, like the prison population or something is a certain color or people who are succeeding in certain areas are a certain ethnic background Hmm. for one even if those things okay okay one thing is to acknowledge the possibility that these groups are behaving differently so that's the first thing and then the other thing is even if you're still suspicious that there could be bias at play because there could be individual bias at play this still doesn't mean that you should have just like implement basically reverse systematic racism absolutely 
So that's yeah. that's something so, I, so I think you're, you're talking about things like gender-based, race-based affirmative action and discriminatory hiring policies and right. lots of these so-called diversity initiatives, which some of them, especially the ham-fisted ones, essentially just boil down to <laughs> racial and sexual dis- discrimination, essentially. I mean, I, right. I see I see this in the world of music, for example. Like I'm a, I'm a professional rapper and they've got some of these schemes where they're trying to make, they're trying to force lineups in festivals or at events or whatever, for example, to be 50-50 gender split. Okay. I'm a rapper. I'm a hip hop artist. I don't know the actual stats, but I would estimate that about 95% of rappers are male. So if you're going to go to a hip hop event or a hip hop festival, why would you expect 50% of either the performers or the attendees to be female, right? It's not it's not 50-50% people part- participating in this thing. Firstly, why is it a problem? This is the thing. Like People make, make it out that every disparity is a problem. And I'm like, well, why is it a problem? If 80% of mechanical engineers are male and 20% are female, I don't care. If 90% of primary school teachers are female and 10% are male, I don't care, right? Let people do what they want to do. I don't think that every disparity is just a problem. And then further on, the only way that you could engineer that 50-50 is by, so in this music example, is by discriminating against men. And that's actually what has started to happen in certain places. So you'll have a festival and maybe 95% of the people applying to perform at this festival are men, but you're trying to make the outcome 50-50. And the only way you can do that is to discriminate against the men. Right. There's no there's literally no other way that you can achieve this 50 50 balance otherwise. And that means that you're you know, you've broken the meritocracy. You're actually implementing a sexist policy. And again, people seem very, very blind to this or very ignorant about what they're actually doing. And I'm here just kind of like, wait, no, what are you what are you doing? You can't you, you can't do that. Right. That's not that's not fair. You're you're being the thing that you're claiming to fight against. And that's something I see a lot, people being the thing that they claim to fight against. And it it's, yeah, I don't, I, I feel like we spent the whole podcast like ranting about things that annoy us, but um, maybe it's good to get it off the chest sometimes. <laughs> yeah, something else I want to say to add to that um, <laughs> is that, yeah, to add more to the ranting, is that um, it, I think it hinders the progress that they want also, which is something that super annoys me. Because say, for example, I'm really into, say there was a, a book or a series that I liked that had a female protagonist in it that I've, I've always liked um, from when I was younger. But once the social justice people get their hands on it and start promoting it as that, I'm almost turned off. You know, and it, that's what it is for a lot, of population, a lot of the population because the writer wasn't making it about um, a female person I mean, sometimes the story is like that, but it wasn't made to fit into our current social debates. Mm. But then they'll turn it into that. And then it almost becomes about the person being whatever gender or whatever thing they're trying to promote and not about some universal value that it was kind of nice to see in a non-typical character. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't become about just a story anymore. It comes, it becomes about advancing the politics. And I think that it hinders the kind of progress that they want to see. Because at least for people like me, as a female, 
it's like, well, I don't want to get into something because then it's going to become all about that no matter what I do. No matter if I'm in it just for the love of the actual thing, it's going to become about that because of people like this. And I, I don't know if it really inspires younger women, maybe because they're they're kind of, maybe they're oblivious to the battle that's going on, but I think it, it hinders what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And it just annoys people. Like people are getting, I think I'm glad that people are getting annoyed with it and are becoming quite vocal that they're getting annoyed with lots of this uh, so-called social justice stuff and just the forcing of certain narratives and forcing of like diversity is wonderful when it's like diversity happens naturally. If you, if you treat people fairly and you allow equal opportunities and you just let the chips fall, you use like meritocracy, whether this is at universities or jobs or you're going to get diversity like that. It's going to happen because there's talent. There's talent everywhere. There's different perspectives everywhere. Right. I'm not, I'm not specifically having you on this podcast because I was there like, hmm, I need a, I need to find a black woman to talk to. You, you, you see what I mean? Like, imagine if I was doing my podcast like that and I was like, oh, okay, wait. People oh, no. That, yeah, but this, like this is the thing. It's like, oh, no, I've spoken to three white males this month. I can't talk to another one. I need to. I need. It's like, seriously, like, this is what people are, are doing. I'm just like, no, like, there are interesting people across the board. So if I'm just like, I want to talk to interesting people with interesting perspectives, you're going to get diversity. One week, you what, I've done podcasts where it's been four women in a row, boom. And then I might do like four guys and right? it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I just feel like this is how it goes with everything. And that's, you know, the way I was raised from a child all the way through my teenage years, being a young adult, that's just, that's essentially how it was. Like people were just like, yeah, this, you know, just happens. And, and as a result, people weren't, all this stuff wasn't constantly on people's brains. I think that one of the saddest things I think in 2019 is that I think in the Western world, people have become more race conscious. Some people may think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's good for me to walk down the street and be looking at people and be sort of categorizing them in my brain based on their skin color. Like I I never did that. So I don't know. I don't think that's a good thing because yeah, I don't know. I find I find it very frustrating. And then on the other hand, I think it also leads to it also leads to the backlash, right? So you see you see a lot of people complaining about like the rise in um I don't know white what people want to say like, white nationalism white, or like you know the alt right or in the UK yeah. sorry in the in the um in Europe you've got the rise of some of these like you know pretty I don't want to say like far right but pretty right wing nationalistic parties and stuff like that and. I'm like, it's not a surprise. This is just an equal and opposite reaction. You're here talking about how horrible, how terrible the Western world is and terrible Western civilization is and white people are terrible and men are terrible. Right? Why wouldn't you get a whole bunch of white guys who are going to be like, oh, okay, then, well, <laughs> we're going to create our own thing here and we're going to fight against you now. And it's just like, uh, the whole thing is just, yeah, it does, it does do my head in. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, that was something that actually happened to me where I never used to see people like that. But now I, I will like notice those things. Like I, I actually w didn't care about that when I first mm. came to the US. And that's hard for people to believe because everybody in America is like that. Like their brains are literally wired like that because of the programming that they've had um, 
to they've you you're taught to self-identify and to identify other people like that from a very young age from what mm. i see here and that's not something i was used to so i also agree that that's not a good thing mm. um and i think that it is more plastic um or like changeable than people realize it is it's not a given that you have to do that and i think it does have to do with the culture i also agree with what you were what you were just saying as well yeah so how do we fix it desiree what do we do well, like we were just saying, even though it's, it's really tiring and it's almost like you have to get into it and start just talking about race all the time. Like that's really the only way you have to get jump into the conversation and keep trudging along, even though you feel like what you're saying is super obvious. Um, and maybe you're repeating yourself a lot every time some the same debate um, recycles itself in a different context. I think that that has to be the only way to just keep maintaining the voice so that as you put it the crazies don't just make it illegal eventually <laughs> to even have an opposing opinion it's it's really bizarre to me i i don't know i'm i'm just like well i like to think so i guess that makes me not the average person which is really scary <laughs> to think about but i want to hear what somebody else is thinking even if i don't agree and like yes sometimes my emotions will be strongly attached to something too but i think it's important to think like that is how civilization advances itself it's really important to think and to hold different opinions in your head that's like how creativity occurs and like almost nothing we have in this world that has benefited us could have come about if we like silenced our thinkers it seems obvious, but it's like mob rule. And what is next for you, Desiree? Um, what is next for me? I think I'm gonna just focus on making more videos again and hopefully starting my art, starting to paint some more and also focus on crypto related things. I'm hoping <laughs> that, you know, the bull run has begun. Oh gosh. It takes a, a couple of years to really pan out. Uh, yeah, I'm going to focus on those things because I think that aligns with sort of my passion, but also where it's helpful for the world. So. Absolutely. Awesome, Desiree. We're just coming up to, uh, I think we're just coming up to an hour right now. So let people know where they can find you online. Sure. Um, to hear about my thoughts on these kinds of topics, you can go to justthinkingoutloud.tv. You can also type in Desiree Thinking in YouTube. Um, and you can also find a podcast version of that, any, any podcast um, aggregator you can find me on. You can also find me at cryptoramble.com. That's cryptoramble, one word.com. And you can also find me at desiree.com, D-E-S-I-R-E-E.com. And I'm sure you will find very useful and insightful things at these places. Awesome. Desiree, thank you so much for joining the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. I'm sure we will talk again soon. Hopefully. Thank you also for having me. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Talk soon. Bye-bye. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape. 
or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big.